The Riverside mission is to care for others as you would care for those you love. And I think if we use that to guide what we're doing as an organization, it's always going to lead us down the right path. I'm John Torek. And I'm Danny Sullivan. And you're listening to Speaking of Design, bringing you the stories of the engineers and architects who are transforming the world one project at a time. Today we bring you the first episode of a special podcast series on behavioral and mental health called Listen, Mental Health Matters. As part of this series, Brian Giebink, behavioral and mental health practice leader at HDR, visits some of the world's leading healthcare providers for candid conversations about the challenges they face and the opportunities to transform the patient and caregiver experience. I'm Brian Giebink, and I hope that by listening, the series helps us consider new perspectives in our quest to create transformational mental health facilities that improve the quality of life for individuals and families and promote a shared sense of community. And now Brian's conversation with Stacy Johnson, president of the Riverside Mental Health and Recovery Center in Hampton, Virginia. Behavioral Mental Practice Leader at HDR. I am in Hampton, Virginia with Stacy Johnson, the president of Riverside Behavioral Health Center, but it's now going to be called, go ahead. Riverside Mental Health and Recovery Center. So we're going to hear a little bit about Stacy's story here. Stacy, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and your background and what you do? Yeah, sure, sure. Happy to chat about that. So as you mentioned, I'm Stacey. I am the president here at Riverside Mental Health and Recovery Center in Hampton. We are a mental health hospital where we, we treat folks on an inpatient and outpatient basis and you know, really working to expand some of our services. So kind of in terms of me and my history, I started off my career as a social worker. So I kind of always knew I wanted to help people when I grew up. I wasn't really sure what that meant. If you told me when I was 10 that I was going to be a hospital president, I probably would have laughed and and said, no, no one wants to do that. But I I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I, I really grew up on the clinical side, working on inpatient units and outpatient therapy with both adults and adolescents in mental health as well as in addiction services and and really my goal was to see how many people can I help and how do I continue to grow my my bandwidth to be able to help more people and that's kind of how I got into leadership and I think it really led me to to here where we're able to help all the folks in in our community. What about Riverside attracted you or why, why did you decide to join Riverside? Sure so I joined Riverside going on five years ago and everyone that I spoke to in the interview process just seemed so genuinely happy to be here and they were so hungry for opportunities to grow behavioral health services and that really spoke to me as somebody who's worked you know in in this area my career it's not very common that you find places eager to to treat this population and expand services so definitely touched my soul a little bit one of the things that drives me as a person is really to help vulnerable populations who are the people that folks aren't flocking to when when you look at healthcare organizations 
it's very common folks have ortho service or, or cardiac services but I, I'm really driven to help people that aren't always able to speak for themselves and it, it definitely has become my calling and something that, that I you know hope to do with with the remainder of my life. Give us a high-level overview of the entire system very briefly. Sure. So Riverside started in 1915 in eastern Virginia, where, where it remains. We've got our behavioral health hospital, of course, and then four acute care hospitals. We have a very large outpatient practice as well. Our Riverside Medical Group has about 750 providers. Another area that Riverside is in is in the lifelong health area, so there's several um, skilled nurses facilities, retirement homes, and then also there is a rehab hospital that's done in partnership with with others. I should also mention we are opening our fifth acute care hospital in Smithfield, Virginia, and that's slated for 2026. We have a lot going on. A lot, a lot <laughs> opening, a lot of growing and expanding. Yes, that's yes. really exciting. So many organizations have one or a series of key moments that define who they've become and why they do what they do. Was there a moment or, or moments that shaped Riverside into the organization that it is today related to behavioral health care? Sure. So I believe that this happened long before I was a part of Riverside, but the Riverside mission is to care for others as you would care for those you love. And I think if we use that to guide what we're doing as an organization, it's always going to lead us down the right path and, and really helping folks. So I think that defines Riverside and I think that it also defines the opportunity to care for mental health patients as well as those with uh, need for addiction services. So yeah, it probably happened long before me, but it's a, a mission we continue to live for today. And I think if you ask our team members here, they can all repeat that. And, and that's pretty amazing to have an organization that, you know, culturally believes in, it, in its mission. What are you striving to provide for people in communities that Riverside serves? You know, is there something that they need need more of right now, or what what, are, what does the community need the most? And, and in other words, how are you growing to fill the gaps in services? Sure. Doing? So as I think about that question, I kind of go back to three years ago, and we sat and we said, okay, where are the holes? What do we need? And what we felt like was happening in our community is there wasn't that full continuum of care. We were able to provide inpatient services. We have our medical emergency departments where we know some of our patients were being treated but we really didn't didn't offer everything that that our patients need so when they leave here they're going to another organization and then they might come back here and just that continuity does have some gaps if those services that they need exist at all so when we kind of drew this all out we said okay how do we create the continuum of care so what we did first was really restructure our hospital to be able to treat as many patients as we can. We knew our community um, really needed some addiction resources and recovery resources. So at that time, we did add detox services. And what we know about recovery is it's not just one stop and, and then you're better. It's just like any medical illness. You've got to really continue that care. So that's when we added that day treatment service for addiction and then which is known as a partial hospital program and then our intensive outpatient program so we feel really comfortable and confident that we've got those resources available
available for our patients, but but that left several other gaps. Where do where do our patients go in crisis? And then you know how about that continuum of care on the mental health side? So that's what we're we're developing now for the hospital and the community. You're about to open a new psychiatric emergency department that's attached to your existing center. What was the impetus behind? putting all of this energy into psychiatric emergency care. There was a lot that went into us deciding if we were going to open a psych ED, are we going to open a, a crisis clinic, are we going to open an urgent care, What what's the need? And really when we took a look at what was happening in our medical emergency departments, it became pretty clear for us that we had patients for hours, days sometimes, even more on, on end, that were sitting in a medical emergency were not getting care that they needed. And that's not unique to us, certainly. I think that that's a much more global problem, but it's just was our decision to, to kind of tackle it. So um, seeing that and, and really looking at that data, we said, okay, let's create a space for, for these patients where patients can start in one location, go through that continuum of care and always have a place they can call home to to get that care. So that's really kind of the the premise for it is getting folks started at the right place and and having behavioral health and mental health experts there to to provide that care around the clock was really critical. I want to ask about roadblocks, about what roadblocks you typically face and how you're able to pivot to move behavioral health initiatives Mm -hmm. forward, but then specifically with the psych ED how, you know, I know there were a number of challenges, just this is the first one in the state, so if you could kind of explain some of those challenges as well, just getting the Psyche D up and running and what you had to do and who you had to talk to and... Sure, sure. (laughs) So to start, certainly to start globally, I think the challenges that we have in, in mental health care here at Riverside are very similar to what others face. Healthcare profit margins are very small behavioral health care profit margins are even smaller. So being able to do this, you know, really takes a commitment from an organization to help you be successful. So we were really lucky to, to have that. I think Virginia is making strides to improve, whether it be reimbursement, startup costs, etc. I think that that there really is a lot of initiatives to, to aid with that. So hopefully things will, will improve down the line. Now to answer your second part of the question, question what opportunities did we have when when we were opening it up but but truly there was a lot of roadblocks so being the first of your kind in a state is amazing and it's exciting but it also probably is going to mean that you don't have appropriate regulatory body set up that that comes to this specifically what what laws do you need to consider I think when you look at medical care it's what's the standard of care and there isn't a standard of care if there isn't others in your area. So when we were really learning about these models, it was us going to other states, learning from them, really just a tremendous amount of research as to what best practices are in this. And there was certainly help from a lot of legal counsel and what is okay to do, what's not okay to do, and how do we align practices that match our medical EDs as well. So. I think that those were huge opportunities for us as well as how are we going to integrate 
this service within our health system, whether it be a transport or a, a transfer, and, and really understanding what, what that means for us. Another area that I think is important to talk about is our team members, and that's both providers as well as your nurses, your techs. It's easy to train somebody when you have a unit open for them to train in. When that unit doesn't exist yet, the unknown is, is very present. So we've needed to get a little bit creative with what that training looks like and having folks, you know, leveraging our health system we're, we're lucky to be a part of and getting training and orientation in those emergency departments that already exist is another really great opportunity that we have as, as well as the electronic medical record build is something else. If there's not a lot of programs like these, you don't have a lot mm -hmm. of other opportunities to, to build. So certainly we've all learned a lot and, and are eager to share it for others that, that might be considering this. Thinking back to just before COVID started is when we decided we were going to open this emergency department. And when we looked at the actual volumes of psychiatric patients in our health system, our actual volume was about 14 patients per day. Fast forward, we're at 22 patients per day. So I think that we believe that when we built this, that our volumes would increase we weren't anticipating a pandemic, certainly, when, when we were building this Performa. Um, but I think that that has, has required us to shift a bit in our operational model and how quickly we treat patients and, and triage them and get them to the appropriate level of care. Once you're this far into the construction, you can't say, hey, let's add another couple rooms. It's, it's certainly not that easy. So that's when you start to need to make those operational shifts. But when your projected census increases that significantly before you even open, you, you've got to look at other things as well. When you talk about margins and costs as part of a big investment for a health system, how did you get everybody on the same page and aligned with this new approach? Sure. So when we were building this model, we built it on strict numbers of patients that were in our emergency departments, our medical emergency departments, and the true minutes that they were there, the volumes that they were there. And when you look at cost of that in a medical ED, that can, you know, a long stay patient does drive costs up, right? So really looking at the right setting for that. And I do think that it was part of our mission. We've also been really lucky to build some partnerships with the city of Newport News as well as the city of Hampton. And the city of Hampton has designated some ARPA funds for for some of the startup costs for this, whereas Newport News dedicated dollars to the development of our outpatient services because both know that neither of these can be successful independently. So we were really lucky to, to receive those grants. And I also, in talking about that, it's important to mention the Department of Behavioral Health, where we did have a, a partnership with them to develop some of our detox and addiction outpatient services. So certainly helpful with, with all of this, and we're eager to see what budget gets approved and what other opportunities there will be there. I, I love that you see roadblocks as opportunities. 
What other considerations did you have with stigma or how your organization is perceived? So over the past six months, we've really taken a look at, at our name, Riverside Behavioral Health Center, and felt that it didn't really fit what we were doing anymore. So taking a step back from that name and really looking at how our community understands behavioral health, mental health, addiction, recovery, um, really has kind of guided us to our new name, Riverside Mental Health and Recovery Center. And I think part of that that has happened is through the destigmatization of mental health. My dream is, is at some point in my lifetime that we're as comfortable talking about mental health as we are our physical health. And I think that COVID, while it's been a, a, a very tragic event and um, so many people are impacted by it, it has facilitated more conversations about mental health. And people are looking for resources. They're comfortable saying, hey, I'm anxious today. Hey, I, hey I'm depressed. Where I think at the start of my career, that wasn't an okay thing to say. I think organizations are saying, okay, we need to consider mental health days and schools are talking about it. And I think that's going to help guide us as we continue to care for, for folks and hopefully integrate this care into outpatient practices and primary care offices and things like that. But I think destigmatization is really growing folks interested in seeking care, which is needed. You're doing so many things and you're transforming, I think, the, the landscape of behavioral health care here uh, locally, if not within the region, the state, um, and you're doing a lot of things really well. What, what do you think you're doing really well and what do you think you're doing differently than your peers? So I think that, that we're in a place today where a lot of people are focusing on mental health. I want to commend everyone that's doing it. I think strategic planning has really gotten us to where we are today. We set a mission, we set a goal and, and started tracking that and how we get there is really what's laid that foundation for us and that's what's kept us on track. It's something that I find incredibly important just in general and leadership. Your team needs to know where, where you're going so that they can help it as well because these types of growth can't happen with one person. So it's an entire team really working together to lay out that plan. So I think that the simple answer is having a plan and a roadmap that everyone can see and everyone knows. And, and that's how everyone's going to start rowing in the same direction. So I think that's been our strength in this whole process. I think that during the construction of the PsychED, you've been very inclusive of the team members you bring to the table. You engaged your clinicians and you spoke mm -hmm. with them. So I think just the the inclusive nature of, of everything has really, I think, helped. At least with the construction, but I imagine that's just you as a leader, right? You're, you're probably pretty inclusive in, in your initiative. I think that it's critical to include team members. I can sit here and make a decision, but the reality is they're the ones with the patients every day and they're the face, so it, they have to you know, buy into whatever change is happening. So getting feedback from them is really important. And quite honestly, some of them are smarter than me so they can you know can probably make a better recommendation we've just got to take that time to listen to our our team can you tell us how that inclusiveness extends to other organizations within the community certainly you can't build um, an emergency department or even outpatient services alone virginia has community services boards and that's who would do an evaluation for a patient if they are incompetent to make a decision on their own so that feedback we've been able to talk to the magistrates and 
see what they need. Our local EMS has been really amazing in setting up protocol for who they can bring here versus a medical emergency room, and that partnership has just been been priceless. I, I think in terms of community, the community is hungry for knowledge and, and such as well. So we do have a behavioral health education coordinator who is all throughout the peninsula really, you know, talking about this and, and seeing what the community needs. I would say that team member feedback is really important when you're building programs like this and and the success of those programs. And as we were restructuring our hospital, doing those safety huddles with each team as a new unit opened, it could be something as simple as we need post-its to, hey, this space doesn't feel safe. That That's what we need to be successful. Many organizations have unique strategies they implement to improve access to care and access to follow-up care. Would you share some strategies that you found to be the most effective, and are there any lessons that other communities or organizations can learn from your experiences? One of the things that we've found incredibly important is ensuring that all providers in our health system are aware of the services that we provide. So we have someone go out and educating and going to their space. The reality is behavioral health patients are are everywhere. Our patients are in an oncology unit, they're in an ICU unit, they're everywhere. So how can we meet those, really those frontline team members to advise them of what we've got, what resources are available, and even some simple things like what are some signs and symptoms to look for and and how can we help support. There's a lot of things related to how to talk to a patient if you're worried they might be having thoughts about self-harm and really getting comfortable with some of those uncomfortable conversations. I think that's what's been most pivotal for us as an organization. And one of the, the nice things to see as we kind of go through this destigmatization process is parents hungry for, for information. How do I talk to my, my teenager or my second grader? What does this mean? What have I done wrong? And, and really being able to create some of those opportunities. It doesn't mean you've done any, anything wrong. It's just we've got to get comfortable with mental health. So I think that's been really helpful for us is, in, is engaging folks. You serve many different populations at Riverside. You have different ages, genders. How do you manage that? How do you manage when a patient shows up, they're a, a child or adolescent versus when they're an adult? So I think the differences in, in age are one of the reasons we're really looking forward to the psychiatric emergency department. So we will have dedicated pediatric and adult treatment areas. That was really, really important to us. So the goal of the emergency department is really to have that calming area where where folks can get the the best behavioral health care possible so having those separate treatment areas was was critical we will certainly not close our doors to anyone regardless of age race gender any of that regardless of diagnosis we are willing to treat anything from an anxiety disorder all the way up through a psychotic disorder recovery services will certainly be available and our ed is really laid out. We had amazing architects that we worked with that really kind of helped us 
look at, at the flow and how that, that is, is to really screen, intervene, and, and then start treatment and referral right away. And that our layout will look like that, but it also lends itself to a patient getting care really quickly and, and whatever intervention they need can, can happen almost immediately upon arrival. So that was really important for us as well. We'll also be accepting ambulances, walk-ins. We're just, we're here to serve the community. You have two separate pods in your ED. You have mm-hmm. your adult pod and your pediatric pod. And will your staff flex between the two pods or are you going to have separate staff for each side? Certainly. So I think both is probably the answer. Our provider will certainly be able to see both adults and, and pediatrics. Depending on volumes, we've been able to create some flex space as well. So it really depends on what volumes look like on the adult and pediatric side as to what assignments might look like on that shift, but all of our team members will be trained to treat both adults and pediatrics. That's great. What's next? What's next for you? What's next for Riverside? (laughs) What's next, I think, is to continue to grow, right? To be able to meet whatever our our patient needs are. We have a good idea of what we're going to see in our emergency department, but you don't know for sure till it's here. So I think really taking a look at the patients that are there and what other resources are needed for them, I think that's going to be really critical for our next step. I think long-term is really building that integrated health system where we can meet the behavioral health needs of somebody that might be in a primary care office or ortho office and really caring for that whole person as opposed to segregating the mental health and the physical health. So let's care for the whole person. So I think that's that's the dream. That's really great. And you have plans to do that with, within the health system to integrate mental health into primary care. And are you leading the charge? So I do have this amazing opportunity to help set up a behavioral health service line here at Riverside. So we are excited. So yes, those those initiatives will be reporting to me as well. Well, we're really excited to see this open. The ribbon gutting is on October 5th. Yes. It's going to be a, a big event. It's it's really important for the community and, and important for Riverside. And every individual that needs care will have an opportunity here. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's great. For more information on our Listen Mental Health Matters series, please visit hdrinc.com listen. There you'll find more on HDR's approach to behavioral and mental health design, meet our team, and see samples of our work. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate us or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.